Hey, it's Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com here with another episode. And today we're going to do something different, something I've wanted to do um, for the last while. And that is actually interview some people and talk about the Bible and good things. And uh, with me today, we have Willard. Willard is somebody that I've basically connected through Facebook and a mutual friend. I don't know him other than what I've seen on Facebook, but already we have a lot in common both in the shed industry, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, so we'll jump right into it. Basically, what piqued my interest and in why I even asked you was that was a, a, a Facebook post that you had about a dream you had. And I don't know if you want to get into that now or later or how you want to lay this out. Um, but then we got to dialogue in a little bit on your understanding of potentially the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I don't know. Uh, I'm going to kind of let you talk. And I'll jump in if I have questions, if that's okay. And if, if you want me to ask you questions, I'll be happy to do that as well. Okay. Well, good to see y'all. Uh, good to be here with you tonight, Matt. Um, as far as where to go, I guess there's about, when it comes to Bible prophecy and future events, we could probably go about a thousand different ways. <laughs> <laughs> that's always how it is, but... I guess what is like from a from a just a foundational standpoint, kind of what is your overview? Like, what would you label yourself in the official labels dialogue, well, which I know is an ever moving, <laughs> ever moving target because you know we all learn. Yes, I I don't really stick to a certain theological framework. Yeah. Um, I I do a lot of Bible study and digging into the scriptures. And you know, when you take a, one piece of the puzzle and you have another piece of the puzzle and the pieces begin to fill in between and you get, begin to see a picture and you realize how the word of God just dovetails, dovetails together so beautiful. Um, it's, it, it's, I don't know when, as I've, I, let me back up. Let's go back about to 1998, 99. It was a low time in my life. Um, I got married in 98 and we had uh, one, well, 99 was, I was in agriculture. My life was just consumed with that. It was my God. And uh, I could tell you some stories about that, but I'll just, I'll go on to what happened. 99 was actually a year that the crops burned up. And I think of the about 1,200 acres I had, we ended up harvesting about 250 acres of it. And I didn't have crop insurance. And it was one of those come to Jesus moments when uh, that winter, the snow started blowing and there wasn't a whole lot happening. And uh, the church we were going to at the time, they asked me if I want to teach some Bible prophecy on Wednesday evenings. And I grew up at a church that was very much premillennial, pre-wrath. And at that point, I didn't really have a, most of the foundation that I had in life was, I shouldn't say knocked out, but it was, it had crumbled. And I was trying to sort through and, you know, who really is this Jesus? And that winter, as I pulled up in the upstairs room of the farmhouse there in Pennsylvania, that's where I grew up, uh, currently out here in California, 
for those that don't know me. And uh, we ho- I hold up that window and I started studying the word of God. And I'll say that gave me a foundation, just a tremendous foundation. Because as I started studying the prophetic word, especially, and I started preparing to teach because I didn't know where I was at that point. And as the word of God became alive to me and things, the word, the prophetic word began to come together and dovetail and mash. And the reality of God's word, the Bible that we're given, you know, God can record the future. God can write the future better than men can record the past. You know that? And the reality of the word of God being alive and it being real and the prophetic word, what's coming in the future and what we see in the world today, that all kind of just became a, it became a, a tremendous faith builder for me. And I think that was probably the beginning of my, my love with the prophetic word <laughs> before that I would, uh, I had a lot of theology and I would beat people up. I would back them in the corner. I would nail their feet to the floor. Uh, very brutal. Uh, and, and God took me through a lot of tough, tough times and took some of that, uh, that humanity out of me and mellowed it and <laughs> left his spirit fill me and mellow me and, 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 make me someone who he could use to inspire faith. But that's just a little bit about my backdrop, my backstory. So I I would say, I would definitely, looking at the word, I would see a pre-wrath rapture uh, very clearly. Um, When you go to Matthew chapter 24, so the disciples asked Jesus, and you have Mark 13, you have Matthew 24, you have Luke 21, which are all parallel uh, chapters, passages, and the disciples asked Jesus, because um, Jesus said that there's a time coming that these stone, none of the stones of the temple will be left on each other. Right. And the disciples asked Jesus, when this will happen and what are the signs? And Jesus went down through there. And, and all those passages, we have phrases throughout the, the, the passage, throughout the chapter, where it says, the end is not, is not yet, or the end cometh by and by, or, you know, as you go down through. And then a, a shift happens. It says, and then the end cometh. Or mm-hmm. in Matthew, it says, until the time of the Gentiles, it talks about Israel, it talks about this people, a local region, a local people, being in tribulation and being in trouble, and then them scattered into all nations until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then we go into the tribulation. But one thing that, that, that I, I see in that, and this is my passion for the church today, in, in chapter 24 of Matthew, when he talks about uh, the tribulation, you come to the end of the chapter in the very first verse in chapter 25, he says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto. Or at the mm-hmm. time of the tribulation, the kingdom of heaven is going to look like this. And he mm-hmm. gives us the parable of the 10 virgins. Mm-hmm. So is that a picture that only half the church, only five of the 10 virgins, only half the church is, are, is going to be prepared to go into the marriage feast? I believe so. And my burden, my burden is that the church is prepared, that the bride of Christ is prepared. The same way in Luke 21, you go down through the tribulation period, it's speaking about the tribulation, then you come to verse 36, it says, 
that you're to pray that you're counted worthy to escape these things and to stand before the son of man. So there he's saying, you who are living us today, we are to pray that we're counted worthy because there's five virgins who are going to be counted worthy. They had oil in their lamps. They have oil in their lamps. They're walking in Holy Spirit. They're counted worthy to escape these things. And they who escape are find themselves standing in the presence of the son of man. And uh, anyway, that's 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 uh, just in a little nutshell. There's a whole lot of other passages we could go to in the Word, um, you know, to 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 explain my understanding of that. But go ahead, Matthew. Maybe you have well, thoughts. Well, I mean, no, I mean, so far, definitely. I mean, you're tracking with what the Scripture seems to indicate. Now, we had we had interacted on that whole ten virgins thing, kind of back and forth messaging, which is really hard to do anything really worthwhile through messaging i mean it's hard you just can't get a feel for can't get a feel for what really what the other person i mean you read into things i guess and we kind of went back and forth a little bit not in a and not in a bad way but in a good way but we were just discussing this a little bit so circle back on this 10 virgins thing because this is this is kind of a big deal so to you when you look at the 10 virgins like is, is your understanding that is is it the knowledge uh, of what God is going to do in the last days, is is it the understanding, or 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 are you referring to more of those who are filled with the Spirit? Like, does that make sense? Like, because is it is it a deception thing that you're seeing, or is it a lack of power kind of a thing that you see? Well, okay, all ten virgins were virgins. Yep, all ten slumbered and slept. All ten had lamps. The only distinction that we find is the oil. And that anointing oil is a type of Holy Spirit's anointing. So it's not about understanding. You do not have to understand the mysteries of the gospel or the mysteries of the prophetic word in order to be prepared for Christ's coming. It's about walking in the spirit. It's about living in the spirit. It's about leaving. Yeah, it, it really is about that. Yeah, well, amen. I mean, I 100% agree. I mean, that is the, I mean, that's the bedrock of, 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 um, I guess that's the bedrock of not, not only the gospel, but the experience that, you know, the Lord wants us to walk in 100%. Um, see, I would always look at that like for myself, just because of, I mean, it was so, I, I wouldn't have really had an opinion on it. I guess a little bit of backstory for me. You know, prophecy was definitely not my forte when I was younger. Not that old, but when I was when I was a lot younger, it wasn't my thing. I was, uh, in fact, I was kind of scared of it because my dad, he wasn't. How do you say it? He was never huge into prophecy because it was just a minefield. So he grew up. You know, he was in that Hal Lindsey era where every you know new thing was just another prophecy fulfilled. You know, you're like watching stuff, and he just. It was just not his thing. He was a revivalist. He was far more into seeing people's lives change than he was in end times. However, that kind of um, environment, kind of, kind of, um, when he did talk about eschatology or prophecy or whatever, it had that little bit of that flavor, a little bit of that, you know, good 1970s, 1980s, you know, any moment, imminence, that, you know, just kind of bang and, you know, whatever. 
So I was terrified as a young kid. Like for me to think about prophecy, it was just terrifying. Like I remember going to church sometimes and I was crying and my dad's like, why are you crying? He said, well, in the end times, you know, and he's like, well, you don't need to cry. And I'm like, but it's terrifying, you know? So <laughs> some of that, I guess, was my motivation as I got older was like, well, I really want to understand this stuff a little bit better than what I do now, because, you know, it is written. I think the churches today in general don't put enough emphasis on it only because it is controversial um, definitely doesn't need to be the primary focus of churches or even believers, but it needs to be there. Um, you know, now that I know more about the Bible, for instance, like in Thessalonians, Paul's been, what technically he's there for what two weeks or a week and a half, and you know he already was explaining to them really complicated eschatological concepts that he then refers back to in like Second Thessalonians, like, well, I was with you and I told you all this stuff, like. Why didn't you get it? You know, I don't think in Christian circles today, you take new converts and like just hand them the plate of prophecy in the first week that they're believers. I, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit more aggressive than what we would probably deal with stuff. But anyway, so coming yeah. back to it, I kind of walked through different systems at some point, you know, just because of ignorance, I would have been a non-millennial to a degree, not because I had a strong view about it. I just didn't know anything. So it seemed like the logical choice. Well, you know, everything is just figurative. You know, it's a lot easier to explain scripture. We don't have to deal with the literal aspects of it. And then, um, you know, started reading books, started going to Israel, started to kind of navigate that and listening to different people and got introduced to different people groups and stuff. And so, you know, as of now, I would probably hold to a very similar uh, view like as far as when I deal with rapture my concept at least how I understand it is it's that's the being caught up as he's coming down but it's it is right before he lays out the final wrath now I understand there's that conversation of well, are we talking about a 24-hour day of the Lord or is there you know more time involved there because you've got scorpions stinging people for five months and that sort of thing so I guess like from for me, I'm guessing you know you're you're understanding where I'm coming from there. Like in your mind, you brought up the whole four four horsemen. So where do you where do you place that um kind of in your timeline the way you would understand it right now? All right. Well, when you go into Revelation, the four horsemen show up in chapter six. And yep. so the first uh chapters two and three, you have the you have the seven churches, which is a very interesting discussion. I would love to have a discussion with that, uh, with you on that sometime. But you go into four and five, you have the scene in heaven unfolding. And then in six is when the first horseman is released, beginning of chapter six. And what I see on the horseman and that goes back to reflect what I see these same horsemen showing up in Zechariah 1 and Zechariah chapter 6 or chapter 8, chapter 6, I believe. Should look with, the, with the four craftsmen. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, chapter 1, it's with the four, four, four horns and the four craftsmen. But there's Zechariah. He was right at the very end of the 70-year captivity. And he was crying out and he was asking God, what is coming? Uh, how long is, is God going to hold his wrath against these people, against Judah, in those 70 years? And 
at that point, we have the horsemen that go out and they're going out into the earth and they come back and bring a report of what they find. And then they go, it seems like they go out and it says that they have disquieted my spirit. The one that went to the North country has disquieted God's spirit in the North, or he's bringing God's, God's plan for the future. You see the devil, the devil, Satan, he's an usurper. And right. he is trying to control the, the, the things that are happening in the nations and on the earth. But God, it will go the way God has it planned. There is no question. It will go. The devil has no authority, has no power when it comes compared to God. And no. these four horsemen, I see them going out to actually set the stage cosmic, in the cosmic, in the, in the air, in the spirit world, as well as setting place in things on in order on the earth, shifting, bringing that shift okay. to prepare for what God has coming. And so that's what I see. These these four are are each one is a wave, and each one gets okay. actually increasingly uh, uh, as far as I mean, till the end, there's death and there's hunger and there's starvation. Right. Right, which that kind of coincides in Isaiah where it talks about the Nile drying up and tremendous calamity coming uh, to parts of the world. Um, I mean, that's definitely seems to be very clear. I mean, unmistakable. I mean, the Euphrates at some point gets dried up as well. So, I mean, that is, I mean, you think about, and I've been, I've not been to, well, I'll fly over Cairo, but I've been to Egypt, just not to downtown Cairo, but the, you know, you literally have millions of people that rely on that river just in that region. You know, the calamity that would bring if it would dry up, not only that in the Euphrates, you know, those are all desert countries. And so if those rivers go away, it is huge problems for that. And let alone other places in the world. We know the stuff we don't read about. What else is going to happen? I don't know. Do you, do you kind of see this uh, scenario? Obviously, it's going to be global in, to a degree. It's going to affect everybody in the world. But do you see this as a geographic or a geographical-centric kind of stage? Or do you kind of view this as a global, global event? I would say very global. Okay. So you would see potentially also starvation and things like that happening in pretty much everywhere. Yes. Okay. Yes. And... So the, the white horse, when he goes out, the white horse rider, this is it. Uh, he goes out and he's given a crown. And that word crown that is used in the Greek is not the diadem, like a kingly crown, but it's yeah. a word meaning garland. Interesting enough, the same word that corona is actually Spanish, meaning crown, comes from the Latin word also meaning a garland or wreath. Mm. Um, I had a friend of mine from Ontario, and he called me last year uh, just before coronavirus uh, cut loose. And he said he's seen something, and he's not much into prophecy, but he's he's one who who is very sensitive. I really appreciate his life and his his spirit sensitivity to Holy Spirit and. Uh, he called me and said, I seen a white horse. And he said, the rider was given a crown and was given a bow. And he said, this horse rider came down and circled the earth. 
And he knew it connected somewhere with the scripture. And I don't think he quite knew where it was. So he called me up because he thought he might have, I might have some ideas. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I look at that and I, I hold that loosely. I yeah, hold sure. that loosely. And, and that's where God, you know, he had a prophecy about Jesus. Just to use it for an example. He had a prophecy about Jesus saying that Jesus was going to come out of Egypt. He was going to come out of Bethlehem. He's going to come out of Galilee. It was Nazareth. And, you know, you had those three, you had those three locations that this Messiah was coming from. And Jesus came and fulfilled all three prophecies in his life, in his childhood. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up. Uh, he, they, you know, fled to Egypt when Herod right. was, Herod was killing the children. Then he came back and he grew up in, in Galilee or Nazareth. And yep. so when we look at the God, God is not confined to our box <laughs> and, and we look at things. He can, he can fulfill one prophecy, six different ways because he's God, you know? Right. And, and he kind of likes so, doing that. Yeah. So in this thing, I hold this loosely, but you know, was the first white horse rider, was he escaped? Was he, did he come already? last year with the coronavirus i mean to be honest never since the days of of babel the tower of babel was the whole earth united on a single issue the way it has united around the fear of coronavirus yeah um and then yes that ties into my dream that i posted the other sunday and i went to bed um just came home from church and crashed and I was sleeping and I woke up and I seen this, I seen this red horse in my dream. I seen this vision, this red, I would say, I shouldn't say a vision, but it was a dream, very vivid. Seen a red horse and there's a rider on him. And he was up in, he was up in the sky and he was released and he was starting to come out. And then I woke up and immediately I tied it into the second horse, the red horse rider. And when I look at what is what he's bringing, says there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat there on to take peace from the earth. So number one, he takes peace from the earth. Yeah. Two, that they should kill one another. And then the third thing it says about him is that there was a great sword given. I'm sorry, and there was given unto him a great sword, King James Version meaning that it almost seems like in the end, he also kills. Not only are they killing each other, but he also kills. Um, then of course you have the third and the fourth horsemen coming afterwards. And, you know, my, my, my burden, my, my heart, my passion for God's people is that we don't live in fear, but that we live prepared because we are in the last days. Yeah, amen. You know, what, what are your thoughts like, uh, and I don't know, do you hold to like a, in the 70s, like this, uh, what's the traditional, oh, I'm trying to think of seven year tribulation. Called, but the, well, the, yeah, this being the 70th week of uh, Daniel, that sort of concept. So like, you know, mid midpoint, you know, peace covenant, that sort of stuff. Do you track with that kind of thought or do you view that a bit differently? Uh, no, I would, I, would, uh, I would hold to that quite vivid. And there's a very... Very important thing to understand. And I'm just going to try to, I should have brought a, a big sketchboard I could 
good here on the camera, but I'm going to make a, a sketch here. We need to understand this. If we're going to go into the word of God and we're going to rightly divide it, there's a very important thing to understand. So you have the 70th, uh, the 70th week of Daniel. So Daniel, his question to God is, what do you have remaining for my people? What do you have remaining? What is there that, re that, is, that, that, re that, that is left? What are you going to do with my people, with Israel? So you have the 70th week of Daniel. And this is not to, this is not to scale here. I'm going to kind of split my paper in half. But you have this, this um, here. You see that? Yep. So it starts off, and he gives exactly 69 weeks in here, in this first part. And then he jumps out, and you have the 70th week. He said 70, 70 weeks are determined for thy people, the Jewish people, to bring an end to sin and to have everlasting righteousness. And this is a very important thing to understand when we're reading Old Testament prophets, because those prophets, I'm just going to kind of lay oh, in here uh, yeah, next yeah, yeah. to me. Can you see that? Oh, yeah, I can see it. Okay. Yep. So the prophets, they stood back here. And here we have these mountaintops. And the prophets stood out here on these mountaintops. They stood out here. And they were looking out across and they were seeing things out in the future. You see yep. that? Yep. So they were looking out across things out in the future. And they would, they would write. I'm going to draw some mountaintops out here. Now, this is really kind of basic. Sure. But they would write. They would write here. They were standing here and they were looking out through it. And they would write about happenings they see coming, and they would jump straight across here from these peaks that they've seen, these high points of prophetic in the prophetic timeline, and yep. they jump right across here. What we need to understand is that down here, in here, there was a valley. There was this valley in here. It's called the time of the Gentiles. It's called a mystery. It was hidden from the foundation of the world. The prophets desired to look into it, and they could not. It was kept hid from them. We go into the tribute, I mean, into the New Testament, and again and again, Paul writes about this mystery, about this mystery, this mystery, yep. the mystery, the Gentile age. And, and the 70th week of Daniel, why it's so important is, so he gets the 69 weeks right here, up to the time that Jesus Christ is crucified. And then you have the Gentile age, and you jump the whole way out here, and then you have one week to fulfill the final prophecies for the Jewish people. This week is split in half. The Bible talks about a three and a half a time, singular, yep. times plural, and a half a time. So you have three and a half, three, three and a half year periods. It talks about two 42-month periods. It talks about uh, the, two, the two halves of the tribulation period, which I believe is the uh, the uh, the 70th week, um, which is commonly referred to as a seven-year tribulation. Um, I so yes, your question to answer your question, I would believe I would kind of hold to that. However, I would hold maybe a little bit looser on exact happenings of that. Um, I used to think 
feel very strongly that the rapture is going to be happening before the four horsemen are loose. And I was teaching that one day and Holy Spirit said, stop it. And I was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> and since then, I have not taught that. Hmm. Um, it was just so clear. Holy Spirit was just like, zip it, yep. you know. And then he began to show me things in the word. And there's actually later on, I think it's in Revelation uh, 30, uh, 13. It talks about the patience of the saints. And oh, yeah. um, no, it's not in 13. Where is that? Anyway, it's, it's later on in the tribulation period. But uh, anyway, to answer your question, I think here, th th this is such an important thing. This Gentile age, this, this valley. So just to finish my thought, the Old Testament prophets, they were here and they were looking out across these mountaintops. And what was down in this valley, they could not see. And when Jesus, he was in the synagogue and he took the prophet Isaiah and he began to read. And he talks about what he's here to do. And he stops in the middle of the passage because the prophet Isaiah had jumped across and had said the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus wasn't here for that. And right. that's why Jesus stopped. Right. And again and again in the New, in the Old Testament prophets, you have the prophets run this whole thing together from right. here. And they jump right over and this here. So the first coming and the second coming the, in, the, in the prophetic word. They'll talk about the first coming and they'll go bam right into the second coming and they'll it'll sound like it's all one one single happening. And that's where the 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 Pharisees and the Bible scholars of Jesus' day, they were looking for that Messiah to come and deliver them from, from Rome. But there's one man who says when he was in the temple and he took this Jesus, or was it Mary's Anna, whichever one it was. And they spoke about a, about the, the, the Mary's heart being pierced. They spoke about a light to lighten the Gentiles. And they spoke about the hope of Israel. There's someone who understood what was going to happen. And they understood that Jesus has come the first time as the lamb for the perfect sacrifice. And he's coming back the second time with vengeance as a lion to destroy sin from the earth. So I, I, I give that, I, yeah, I just, ah, I feel like I went down a, a, a big, long rabbit trail. <laughs> no, that was perfect. <laughs> exactly. your question. No, it was perfect. You know, and I, yeah. I look at it, you know, I've been, I mean, I've been studying the material really in depth kind of over the winter just because we had, there was, so there's a group of us guys um, from our home church that basically we've been, we've, we've been to Israel and we have interest in this stuff. So we've been digging in like deeper than, I mean, I've been in the material for a while, but as far as together, doing it together in a group is a, is a lot of fun. You see a lot of perspective, but just going through the stuff, you know, fresh and new, you get, every time you do it, you get a different perspective, a little different flavor, and you pick up some things that you didn't see before. And, um, you know, you touched on like in Daniel. So one of the things we did, and I don't have it ready, but I could, but one of the things we did is like literally chart out every action, you know, Daniel 11 or, uh, yeah. 10 through basically 10 through 12, anytime there's movements involved and things. And so you start to get a picture um, of, of just kind of stuff that's going on. And um, you know, and you mentioned like you're drawing out your graphs and stuff that that's awesome stuff. Cause the visuals help people uh, big time in, in understanding what's going on. Like I look at the Gentile age, I think, 
you know, you and I both know, like, and this is a point I've been trying to uh, get across in a nice way just to people who maybe don't understand some of the nuance to this just because of, you know, backgrounds or whatever. But, you know, God has always used Israel as a vehicle, but he primarily made his covenant with them as the family that he chose out of Abraham. Now, you can get into the whole, you know, spiritual Israel thing and stuff, which I personally don't, I don't go there. But um, what what I think is happening is that if, if you look at the feasts, and I don't know if you, you know, as far as in the time timetable. So this is was an eye-opening thing, you know. The head of the year back in the biblical times was just before Passover. So now it's in the fall, then it was in the spring. So that was when, when the year began. There's a lot of activity. You have Passover, which we all know that Jesus, you know, he's still filling parts of that uh, at a second coming, but he was, you know, it made a perfect overlay to what he was doing when he was here 2,000 years ago. Fast forward to, you know, Pentecost, Shavuot, you know, the first, the first main in- instance that Christians don't know normally, and I'm guessing you probably do, but that was the giving of the law in Sinai was on Pentecost. And here you go, basically 2,000 years later, now you have the giving of the Spirit. You know, the, the overlay is very clear. So you have, you know, covenant, covenant, you know, law, law, the just new way of the Spirit, old way of the letter, you know, that whole dynamic. And then you have this long, and in Israel, it's a long and very dry summer. Okay, because just the way their, their grain cycles work. So you have a really long period of time in between those two events and then the event at the end. So when you're talking about, prophetically speaking, you've got a lot of pack in that first part of your diagram. And then you got this dropout and like nothing's going on until right at the end of the year. Okay, just before the winter rains and all that. It perfectly matches that layout. And I always look at like the feasts of the Lord are... Um, in Hebrew, it's called Moedim, which is basically appointed times. Um, and these appointed times mirror prophetically what he's trying to accomplish. So we know prophetically he passed over what that points to, Pentecost, what that points to, and then, you know, tabernacles, what that points to. It's this blueprint. And then, you know, then he gives the prophets even more layers of information to give you nuance. But when I look at like the whole picture of, this age, it seems to be lining up on that framework. I don't know, would you agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a fun journey for me because, you know, I didn't know that stuff. Growing up as just a, you know, I mean, I guess my parents were Amish at one point, left the Amish, became Mennonites, and eventually were kicked out of the Mennonites. So... <laughs> I didn't know who I was. I was, you know, by the time I came along, I was a non-denominational ex-Amish Mennonite. Yeah. I was never Amish, so I, you know, but it was still, I didn't really know. And and to actually have the Lord bring me to a point where I actually even care, it's kind of a miracle mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, there was a time in my life when I, okay, I grew up at, I don't know if you ever heard of North Lebanon Mennonite Church in Pennsylvania. They put out a, uh, they're known for being very focused and uh, pretty radical on the prophetic word. Okay. So I, I 
you know, when I came out of that, when we left there, I had just maybe a little bit of a reaction, not knowing exactly where I was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when God started just knocking out my foundation and rebuilding yeah. me, it's surprising how close I came. And yet there's a lot of, a lot of very, uh, there's a lot of things I would very, uh, be different on today than what I would have grew up with. But, uh, one thing I want to say, um, with, with spiritual Israel. So we are all Abraham's children. I know, man, we could go My on face. for hours yep. in this. <laughs> so we are well, all that, the children of Abraham. That you, that you have scripture for, so you're good. <laughs> yeah. so we're all the children of abraham we're all he's the yeah. father Amen. of the faith and Amen. romans 11 tells us very clearly that the natural branches of israel were broken out they were broken off of the stump yep and us the wild alley branches were grafted in don't, so don't forget the, the next part it says with some of the natural branches with and it says <laughs> but it says if the natural branches are broken off and the wild were grafted in contrary to Correct. nature, he says, how much more shall they not come back in again? 100%. So we have the restoration of Israel. We have Israel yep. coming back because of the promises of God. And Romans 11 is a, is a passage that is, um, I mean, you have to be, you have to be pretty stubborn to say that God doesn't have a future for Israel, but we are grafted in. We, we are grafted in and we're partaking of the root, the fatness, the blessing that God gave to Abraham. We're partakers of that as Gentiles. And that is absolutely yep. beautiful, but that does not subtract from the natural branches having a future time where God is going to be working with them. Um, in all this, I want to say this one thing. Oh, you mentioned about being in Israel. I've never been to Israel. I would love to go to Israel sometime. My, the, we need to, we need to fix that. We, we uh, need to we, fix yeah. that. You let me know next time you're going. <laughs> I, well, uh, if they open up with, you know, if they open up reasonably, I'm, I'm hopefully this fall and maybe next spring, but we'll see. Make up for lost yeah, we're time. In 2019, my wife and I were over in the Mediterranean. We went for a cruise on the Mediterranean. Yeah. And we were in, yep. we spent some time in Rome. And uh, the one night we were in Rome, uh, God told me, he said, the gates of this city. And again, it was one of those dreams very vivid and i woke up immediately afterwards this is the gates of this city so i started doing research what are the gates what are the gates of rome what 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 are the gates of the city and we were actually the last day we were there our bus went down the road and turned left going back to the catacombs toward the catacombs and immediately i seen the old gate there and the holy spirit said that's what i was referring to so I still want to go back to Rome and I want to visit that gate and see what God has to say, because there's something significant he wants to show. Uh, he wants, there's something significant about it. So I want to go back there. I have, um, maybe, maybe I can do that and, and Israel on the same trip. <laughs> well, but it's a good, in, in, it'd, it'd be a good stopover because Rome, like we were there for, we went. We, there's some. Uh, there's some people we know in southern Italy. So we flew there to get down to southern Italy, which, you know, you, I think you'd get a kick out of those people too. Um, they're 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 real real people. They face some very difficult situations. But anyway, in Rome, like uh, we had, we we went to the catacombs. That's one of the things we actually did. Not on a really scripted tour. We were just there for three days and didn't know what, didn't know what we were doing. So we arranged it one day to go see this stuff. So. And it, you know it's really crazy 
the situation they lived in, you know, and I look at it like I, you know, looking back, it's easy to criticize some of the trajectories of early Christianity because Gentiles in some ways made a mess of things just because we're, we're pagan. I mean, we came from these pagan roots and these very miserable backgrounds and just, and God having to try to purge that out of us. And we just mess things up. I mean, early church, you immediately get into Gnosticism, like, oh, we have the secret knowledge, which is nothing more than just fusing, you know, really the mythologies of the day with Christianity. But anyway, you know, so that, you know, and God still loves us and works with us and deals with us and that, you know, but history, you know, if you're looking back, it's easy to just kind of like, man, they had some things way off, which they did, but Mm-hmm. What what's in, what you're impressed with, like in the catacombs, I mean, you go down in there and it's, I mean, dark and scary dark. And it is, it's creepy. Like it's full of old tombs, like little boxes of dead people buried. I mean, mm-hmm. by the thousands in these caves and like to go down in there because everybody else is kind of creeped out, you know, to go down there and have church. That's, mm-hmm. that's really something. I mean, that is the feeling you get is, you know, literally 2000 years ago in the days of right after the apostles era, you know, you have believers huddling down in there singing songs and, you know, having services down in the, in, in the caves. It's, it's pretty special. It's, you'll definitely have to check that out sometime, but definitely have to get yeah. to Israel sometime. Yep. <laughs> you know, talking about, you're talking about us. There's a lot of people that, think that we're really special and we're really something and almost look at, you know, we've replaced the Jews. Yeah. And and we are so Gentile. I mean, you said you referred to us as pagan. I mean, it's so true. <laughs> I, I told someone recently, I said, you know, we get up, uh, we get up on, on, on Sunday morning and it's not the Sabbath, but we get up on Sunday morning, we start our car, we start a fire to start, start our car and oh, we, yeah. we go driving down the road past our, our, uh, the, 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 pastures full of hybrid cows and we feed them mixtures of crops you know try cow and we're wearing our 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 wool and cotton mixed clothing and <laughs> we go home sunday and we we have a lunch of pulled pork i mean we're just as we're as gentile as all get out i mean we, we have no idea what the <laughs> how those people lived yeah, that's so but, uh, anyways yeah you well, know, at least you understand thing, at least you understand that stuff because there's a lot of people that don't and almost feel it's like liberty and look, God can deal with it. But, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have very interesting conversations with different people groups that like, so the nuance is epic. So it's kind of like Paul said, you know, when he's with the one group, he does like they do. And if it's the other group, he does like, you know, they do. If he's with the Jews, he'll be like a Jew. If he's not, you almost have to in some ways just because it's, it's, you know, we got some roots. Yep. And one thing, uh, keep on saying one thing, I finally want to get this spit out. <laughs> um, on the prophetic word, Daniel, he was studying the word and he was studying the books of others. And as he was reading Jeremiah, he realized that they're at the end of the 70 year captivity. He realized they're coming yep. to the end. Right. And Daniel, he studied and he desired to understand to the point that it affected his health. He got sick. And, you know, I believe there's three times when an angel came to him. And every time he said the same thing. He says, Daniel, thou man greatly beloved of God. 
when people are passionate about knowing God's heart, knowing what God's plans are, God takes delight in that. Mm. And, and anyone who is studying the prophetic word, and I'll say this, study it, leave it, inspire your faith, use it to inspire others. If it creates more than heat, more heat than light, I'm out. I will teach it. I will preach it unapologetically, but I will not argue because I just don't have the time for it. And, but what I want to be and what I want to encourage others to be is to be that man that is greatly beloved of God. The one who is passionate, who is seeking to understand God's heart and to know God's plan because God takes delight in that. So Matthew, now man greatly beloved of God. You're digging into the word. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's, that is, it's consumed me and really where it started for me. I mean, I've always, I mean, I, I, you know, I had a real, you know, conversion experience and, and, and then later in my late teens, uh, had another, you know, filling of the spirit experience that really changed the trajectory of my life. But, the but going to Israel the first time triggered, um, for me, for some reason, I just connected in a way that I was like, you know, I need to understand this stuff better. And I don't know why, like I'm the most unlikely candidate to actually even dig into that sort of thing. But I think it's probably because just in our people group uh, circles, whatever, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of misconceptions. And some people just don't quite understand what God's up to and what he's trying to do. And he just wants people to know, like he does want people to know, but to figure it out, does take some effort, you know, it's not going to be automatically downloaded. You have to like, got to get into it. For some reason he likes that. He can make it so much easier if he just, you know, make it really clear, but you actually you have to fight your way through it a little bit and kind of like find it in the middle of tension. I always call it scriptural tension because there generally is a point on this side and then a point here to kind of balance the two. Uh, and a lot of times it happens to be that way. So if you, so you say you're pre-wrath, I mean, what would you define, like, so in, at which point do you think the wrath in your mind begins? Is that at the midpoint or just after, I, I assume you mean abomination of desolation is in the midpoint, I assume. Uh, yeah, so um, I want to say one thing before we go into that, and that is on, on the premillennial, millennial, I have no problem with the millennial teachings and a making application of the future prophetic fulfillments to our spiritual today, because we are given the deposit. We're given the earnest of our inheritance. There's a future inheritance yeah. coming, but we're given yeah. that earnest, that deposit today in the spirit. So we can apply to that. And this whole, this whole, uh, all millennial premillennial thing is a bunch of hogwash. Now the part of the all millennial that is, that is heresy is the thing saying that there is no millennial which is actually what millennial means. That's right. heresy. And so I speak unapologetically, even though I'm kind and I won't argue, uh, but I will speak <laughs> unapologetically. <laughs> so nice. back, to, back to your question. Um, on the, on the, uh, the pre-wrath, um, so you have, you have man's wrath against man, you have the devil's wrath yep. against man, and then you have yep. God's wrath. So you do not find God's wrath being poured out while you have the, the trumpet sound. When the trumpet sound, there is cosmic and there is on the earth. There's stars 
that fall, there's things that happen in the earth, in the creation, in the, in the, um, universe, et cetera. Yeah. In the universe. Yeah. In the universe. That, that's what I was looking for. And, but that's not God's wrath necessarily. What I see God's wrath is in the seven seals at the end. So if you look at the book of Revelation, here's another thing. The book of Revelation is not written in a total sequence beginning to end. So you have the first, sure. second, third, and fourth seal. And then you have the fifth seal, the souls under the altar. Those are the tribulation. The first picture we get of the tribulation saints. And then in the sixth seal, you have men crying for the rocks and mountains because they see the face of the lamb of Jesus. And they say, for the great day of his wrath has come. They say, hide us for the great day of his wrath has come. So that is the beginning. You get back into revelation further. And I don't have this on my right off the, off the, I kind of just pulled it out of my brain, but you have the, you have the wine press of the wrath of God. Yeah. So you have the sickle thrust in and the earth beginning to be harvested and thrown in the wine press of the wrath of God. Isaiah 63 shows Jesus coming from Basra. He chose him yep. and he is treading the wine press alone. His garments are splattered with red, with blood. And we find that in Zechariah. We find that throughout the Old Testament, the same picture throughout the Old Testament prophets. You get in towards the end of the tribulation and then something shifts. And there is no more mercy and there is no more grace and there's no more long sufferingness and there's no more patience. And it says that the time of his wrath is come and he's pouring out his wrath, pure wrath in the seven vials that are poured out on the earth. It says they're poured out without mixture. This is pure wrath, brother. This is not any mixture of patience or peace or grace or this is pure wrath being poured out. That is at the final tribulation. That is what I see the, the battle of Armageddon. That whole thing I believe is actually taking place in the battle of Armageddon. Um, yep. And that's how I would see it. So I, I see the, the, the tribulation period heating up and the last part of the seven year tribulation becoming very hot very rapidly. Because what is happening, another thing that happens is the veil between the natural and the spiritual is removed. Mm, okay. So that gets thinner and thinner and thinner throughout the tribulation period until finally. So you're starting to Michael see more manifestation. Yeah. You're just seeing more manifestations and manifestations, in other words. Yes. Yep. And at one point there, Michael and his angels fight against the devil and his angels in the heavens, and he casts them to the earth. And now the earth, the great red dragon, the devil is bound. He walks on the earth like a man. See, Isaiah talks about that. And it says when that happens, the nations are going to look at him and say, is this the one who caused the earth to tremble? Is this the one that has deceived nations? And I believe that's a fulfillment. That is going to be fulfilled when that when when Satan... The old serpent is cast out of the sky, out of the heavens, and he is bound to the earth, and he walks on the earth like a man. So you have the veil between the, the natural and the supernatural get thinner and thinner until finally it is removed. And you have the armies of heaven coming against 
the red dragon against Satan, against the Antichrist, against a false prophet, which comes from the Greek Orthodox Church. I just thought I'd throw that in there for you. And you have them all coming together against Jesus. And the veil, by that time, the veil between the natural and the supernatural has been totally removed. And that's where you see the wrath. And you see the final, final uh, crises on the earth. But here's a beautiful thing. Oh, my goodness. Now, I, I, are you ready for another 20 minutes? <laughs> sure, go for it. Okay. So in Revelation, we have a picture. A man comes down from heaven, and he sits his one foot on the earth and his other foot on the sea. And he raises his right hand to heaven, and he swears that time shall be no longer. And that announcement, let me see if I can find it. Other translations, I think, say that there should be no more delay. Yep, there should be no more delay. Or that, the, the, okay. I only say that because there's that song, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the time's going to end. Like, that's not really what the verse is saying, but go ahead. Exactly. Because <laughs> as going into the eternal state, the, 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 the trees yield their fruit by the month. Right. I'm still calculated. Right. So here, this is in uh, Revelation 10. And, um, when the seven thunders uttered their voice. So we have the seven seals, the seven vials, we have the seven trumpets, but then there's seven uh, thunders that we don't, we're not told what they are. So we only got 75% of it. That's why Revelation's a little hard to understand and piece together. Anyways, but here we have the seven thunders uttered their voice and, um, and the angel, I'm sorry. Verse 5 of chapter 10, the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are in the earth and the things that are therein are and the sea and the things that are therein that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. So, when in the days when the seventh angel began to sound. So the seventh angel puts up his trumpet to his mouth. And when he sounds, there is an announcement made that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign. Then it says, and he hath reigned. So the seventh trumpet actually initiates the, the, the thousand year reign and actually goes the whole way to the end. Of the thousand year reign he has reigned uh, and he the nations were angry and all this that happens at the end but yep. here's the interesting thing so when that seventh angel when that seventh trumpet goes up to the angel's mouth and he begins to sound there is an announcement made that the mystery of god should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets remember what i talked about earlier yep. this mystery yeah the mystery of God that the Old Testament prophets talked about, they desired to look into, they didn't understand. They wrote about it, but they didn't understand. He says, that mystery is done. The Gentile age has ended. And that, the end of the Gentile age, actually is exactly at the time that the thousand-year reign begins when Christ comes down out of heaven in Revelation 19. That all meshes at the same happens that takes place at the same time and the thing that triggers it is israel repenting 
and weeping and crying to the Messiah. And it says that in Zechariah, it says when Israel repents, they're going to, every husband and every wife apart and their families, everybody individually is going to repent. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're following what I'm saying? That, oh, yeah. Okay, so that all, that all culminates and there's a very rapid succession that their repentance triggers in Christ coming back, the, the, in, in, in Jesus coming back. Anyways, wow, I, I just, my goodness, I, I, I have to stop or I'll keep you all night. <laughs> That's no problem. I've got all night. Well, not all night, but most of the night. Yeah. <laughs> no, so yeah, I have, so... like I have, so in, just in your opinion, okay, you made that note about the Greek church inserting something about Antichrist and false prophets. So explain that a little bit. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, that, that we have to, okay, I'll go into it just a little bit. But the seven churches of Revelation yeah. are seven church types that are okay, all yep. Correct. In place the whole way through history. Not the whole way through history. They all have distinct start, distinct starting times. But you had the first church. They're the church of Ephesus that tried those that said they're apostles and were not and found them liars. So they were the apostolic church. The second church is the church of Smyrna. And it says about the church of Smyrna that they had tribulation 10 days. They're going to have tribulation 10 days. Fox's book of the martyrs talks about 10 distinct waves of persecution that came across the early church. So one emperor would come in persecution, go way up and it would kind of subside. And then the next emperor would come in, it would come way up and it would kind of subside. And there was 10 distinct waves of persecution in the early church. So the church of Smyrna is a persecuted church. And then you had the church of Pergamos where Satan's seat is. And he tells the church of Pergamos, he says, repent or I'm going to come and fight against you with the sword in my mouth. He does that in Revelation 19. So that was Roman church, the pagan church. They took Christianity and they took paganism and they merged them. Well, at that point, it wasn't Roman, but it was the it wasn't the Western Roman churches we know today or the Eastern Orthodox churches we know today, but it was a single unit. Yeah. Um, just like the, the, the image in Daniel, it had Rome started and then Rome was split in, they had the Eastern and the Western going down the legs. And then you get down to the end and it says there's a section of, of clay. It says that the toes are clay and the legs are clay. King James version is kind of archaic. I'm going on a funny trail here. I'm trying to pull this all together. Oh, I like could go sure for it. Follow me. Okay. Oh yeah. So, I'm following. The toes are clay, the, the toes are, are, are iron and the legs are iron, but in between there is this clay. And it says, even as the toes do not cleave, and that word cleave is to follow consecutively. It says, so this is going to be broken. There's a time when this thing's going to be broken, but then it's going to be revived in the 10 toes, which is a reflection of the 10 kings. Okay, so now let's back up. So you have the 10 kings, which is shown in Revelation. You have the 10 kings shown in Daniel and in different parts of the Bible. And it says, in the days of these kings shall the Lord set up a kingdom which shall not be destroyed. There it does not specify 10, but in other passage in Daniel, it specifies 10. But now I'm saying that to back up. So you have, let's back up to, to the Church of Pergamos. So you have the Church of Pergamos. That is the, 
the Roman Church, Constantine, mixed Christianity and paganism. And Satan's seat was brought inside the church. And he said that from this church, this church is going to be the one he comes and fights against with the sword of his mouth if they don't repent. The next church is Thyatira. Thyatira, that church, um, when you look at that, it talks about her children. And the church of Thyatira in AD 1030, right around there, you had Eastern and Western finally split, and you had the Eastern yep. Orthodox, which is Pergamos, and yep. you had the Roman Catholic Church, which is Thyatira. And it talks about all her children, and God's going to come back and burn her children with fire. And all of Western Christianity is the children of the Catholic Church. All the, ref all the reformers came out of, yep. Catholic, out of the Catholic Church. Yep, Every one sure. of them. None of them out yep. of the Greek Orthodox. Okay, yep. so that that there is that the the and my goodness, I, I I just there's so much could be said about that. She has she has Jezebel there. You have the Mary worship and all that, which you have in the Greek Orthodox too. But uh, let's keep going. Uh, then you have the Church of Sardis. So the Church of Sardis, they have a name that they live, but they're dead. That's a Reformed Church. Reformed this, Reformed that, Reformed theology. Re their name says they live, but they're dead. Jesus' message to them was to strengthen the things that remain. See, every one of these, even the Church of Thyatira, Jesus said, he said, those that don't know the depth of Satan, I will lay upon you no other burden. There is those who come out of every one of these churches. There are those who, he, he has a message for his return, his end time return to every one of these churches. So these are actually seven church types are seven church, not ages that start and stop, but seven church types that continue up to the end. And then you have the Church of Philadelphia, which is a church that has a little strength. They did not deny the name. And Jesus says, in, interesting, listen to this. Same word he used at the ark, the same word he uses in Matthew 25 to the five wise and five foolish virgins. He introduces himself to the Church of Philadelphia. He says, I am he that opens the door and no man shuts, and shuts the door and no man opens. And then he goes on and he gives them a promise. He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the world to try every man that dwells in the earth. Yeah. See here again, a reference to the rapture. Again, a reference to the rapture, the five wise virgins. So this is the one who is who, who the, the, the rapture church, a church who is prepared at the end time. And my prayer is that the Philadelphia church would be stirred up and that more people would be would 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 be stirred up and walk in the spirit. That's my passion. And then you have the church of Laodicea, which is saying, you know, we're full. We got it all. Man, we have we just we've got it. I mean, hunky dory me. But then Jesus says, but you don't know. In fact, your eyes are so infected, you can't even see. Hmm. You're naked. You're, if I would draw a picture of you, you would be a drunk prostitute laying in the ditch in their own vomit. I mean, that sounds pretty gross. I'm, I'm just kind of using my, my, my language, but it's really, and Jesus says, he says, repent, get hot or cold. He said, because I said, I'm going to spew you. I'm going to vomit you out. Anyways. So that's the seven churches, and there is so much we could dig into.
here's the interesting thing. I brought that 10 Kings in because when you go back to Revelation 17, you have a woman riding the beast. And here, I'm going to give just a quick rundown. And if you want to, you want to have another, uh, another discussion sometime on this, I can oh, go sure. much more into that. <laughs> but Revelation 17, you have the woman riding the beast. And that woman is, is shown as mystery, which is the Gentile ages referred to mystery, the church. She's shown as a woman where the church is a bride. She's called a city where the church is called heavenly Jerusalem, a city also she's called the city that rules over the kings of the earth. And you have all these different pictures painted of who this woman is in Revelation 17. And then at the end of Revelation 17, Jesus said, there are 10 kings, the 10 horns of 10 kings, and God is putting it, his will, he is putting it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to destroy the woman. So you have the 10 kings destroying Thyatira or the Roman Catholic Church at the end of the tribulation period. And those 10 kings turn around and give their power and authority to the beast. Those 10 kings, the same 10 kings you find in Daniel, the end time 10 kings you find in Revelation and Daniel are the same. Anyway, just a quick rundown of that. Uh, you, you, I, <laughs> I, I hope I didn't give you too much. <laughs> no, I'm totally tracking. Absolutely. So just on that note, uh, in your opinion, so would you hold to the concept? I mean, okay, so you split the seven churches. Uh, yeah, seven churches. And that's a linear thing. So you think that's represented all throughout history and including into the last days. And when you, when you mentioned rapture church, you're, you're thinking pre-wrath caught up kind of a deal, not the traditional pre the whole seven year Correct. period kind of a view or whatever. Um, and then let me just think here a little bit. So basically then you're, you're coming in, so the 10 kings, for instance, in your mind, destroy the woman, okay? Which in your mind is, is different churches or, or Catholic church or Eastern church or what specific do you, I mean, is it, are you talking and containing the whole of that or just a segment of that, like in your mind? Okay, so they're going to destroy the Roman church and her children. God okay. says, I'm going to burn her children with fire. So the, the five foolish virgins are going to go through a refining process. So it's not only going to include the Catholic Church, but specifically the Catholic Church will be destroyed by the Ten Kings. Okay. Now, and I say the Greek Orthodox Church, this is, this is where I see the Greek Orthodox Church is actually going to be the religious arm of the Antichrist. The false prophet will be a head of the Greek Orthodox Church, and he is going to bring peace between the Muslims, be key in bringing that peace between the Muslims and the Jewish people. Now, I, there's a lot of reasons why I say that. We don't have time to get into them tonight, but that's what I see in the word. And again, okay. these things I hold loosely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're because all trying to see the truth in loose, it. 
Yeah, I hold them loosely. And as pieces continue to be filled in, um, if you hold something tight and you have a theory or a theology that you have to stick to, you limit yourself. And you know what? God is a God. God can do more than I can hope or think. He can do more than I can imagine. So I want to come to His Word and have my hands open to receive and to understand. And there's many times I read and I have something I put it up in the shelf and it's like I don't know where this fits in. And then a half a year later, a year later, I'm going through and all of a sudden comes right in here and this is where it goes. It's like, wow, that's amazing. That's revelation. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, so in a nutshell, because this is like, you know, the pinnacle question, <laughs> identity of antichrist. So in your mind, uh, just, just, I don't know. I mean, we can get into it in a, in a different segment sometime in the future, as far as if you want to dig into some of this stuff, I have, I'd love that. But um, like in your mind, who do you kind of con- conceive as being Antichrist? Well, there's people over the past few 20, 30 years that I have watched closely. Clinton, for one, he was very, very uh, intensely pursuing a peace accord. Right. So he was not Antichrist, but he was a spirit of Antichrist. Uh, John says there's many Antichrists in the world. When we see the singular Antichrist beast, I'm not sure who he is. Um, There is just interesting. There's, okay, well, one, something we know, he's not going to have a desire of women. I think he's going to be homosexual. Um, It says that he's going to, uh, to say to deny the God of his fathers, I can't think if it's something about blasphemy the first, deny the God. He, so he's yeah. going to have either Jewish or Christian background. Um, and we look at different characteristics that were given of him. And do I have any single person? No, but I am, I have my eyes in a few. Um, I have my eyes in a few watching what they do and how they how they act and what they say uh one of them is that that latest one i think i shared on facebook here maybe a week or two ago about this uh, rabbi over yeah. in israel that yeah they are people yeah. just falling over uh obviously going to be a false messiah uh claiming to be a messiah um we see that in the 70th week of daniel that he is directly connected with Rome and with the Ten Kings, the revived Roman Empire, because um, the peace accord is, they're directly involved in that peace accord with Israel. And in the middle of the 70th week, that is broken. So um, who it is, I don't know. But I, I wonder, is the rapture going to happen before or after? The Bible tells us, it says, first, the man of sin is going to be revealed. And I look at that and I say, is it going to be pretty obvious who the Antichrist is before the rapture? I know one thing. I don't see the Antichrist as being the Pope. That was something that somebody said on that post, too. I, don't, I do not see that. But yeah. he's going to be uh, very influential in the world and his main goal one of the main things is he's going to bring a false peace that is going to be broken in the middle of the week. 
Do you do you potentially? Um, so you said revive Roman Empire. So you would view that as potentially like a European kind of a like EU kind of a deal, or do you see that as kind of a uh, to some degree maybe? In, okay, so there's the Western part of the old Roman Empire, or these the Eastern part of the Roman Empire. Do you see this potentially a revived Eastern portion where you have? I mean, there's some people who think like the Ottoman Empire reviving. Um, that sort of a thing, which that took territories of the uh, eastern part of the old Roman, Roman Empire. Do you, where do you stand on that? Do you think it's a Western thing, an Eastern thing, or a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two, and they're eventually going to get to the point that they get fed up with trying to get twenty heads together. Twenty, what is it now? How many people are in the? How many nations are in the? I'm not even sure. I'd have to look it up. I, I yeah I don't know offhand I know here. they add and there's some they, they it's up twenty some right now I believe, um, but I uh, 20, 28 27. Countries. 27, 28, somewhere in there. So twenty seven here. Twenty seven. So okay. I my understanding is that it'll be a combination. But at any rate, it's going to it's going to come down to a group of ten. It's going to come down to a group of ten, and those ten kings. During the time of those ten kings is when the woman is destroyed, and they turn around and give their whole allegiance to the Antichrist. Now, of those ten, Daniel shows that there is actually one that rises up as Antichrist. One of the ten. He rises up as Antichrist, and he has a mouth is given to him to speak blasphemy in that, and he overthrows some, and there yep. ends up being seven. Right. So um, I would see, personally, I would see the revived Roman Empire being a combination of the European Union. They're going to come. I believe they're going to come to a place that they are tired of trying to get 27 people together and say, hey, you little three, these three little nations are going to have one representative. These nations over here, these two here are going to have another representative. And they're going to get it all pieced together and have 10 heads. That's what I see. Now, that is just a gut feeling. That is not revelation. Yeah. I mean, I, I know. I So in the study group, for instance, we looked and I just, you know, because we're so easy, we're so quick, I should say, in the modern world to just look at the modern scene and think, okay, how are we going to manipulate this to get what the Bible says? And I was like, you know, it's very quick. If you just go back even 110 years before the world wars and look at how different the map looked in a hundred year period, the nations and like the, the boundaries are completely different. There, a lot of titles are different. I mean, a lot happens in a hundred years. And I don't know how close we are to the time of the end. Are we in the final sequence? Are we talking another 100, 200, 300,000 years? I mean, we don't know, obviously, exactly. But, you know, boundaries can change rather quickly just with yes. events, wars, and weird, you know, just very quickly you can have things change. I mean, look, look what happened with ISIS, that whole, um, that whole thing where it was literally like, like you didn't even hear about them. And next thing you know, they've got a huge territory, you know, made up of Syria and Iraq. And I, mean, I was over in Israel several times when they were fighting because you could, you could see and hear the fighting um, from a, there's a mountain called Mount Bental. You can go up in Bental and there's actually UN peacekeepers up there and it's an observ observation post. And you could go up there and we could, you could watch the fighting. You could watch 
you could hear it different times, probably three different trips. There was one trip that was the worst where literally just every day while you're in Israel in the Galilee, you hear the bombs going off up in, up in Syria, you know, rebels fighting and everything else. So it was it's eerie a little bit to, to be around a war zone like that. But, you know, that stuff changes and can change pretty rapidly. So I always say that people can't, like you can't, the, the geography can change very quickly. I kind of just, with going through Isaiah again, you know, there's 10 nations, and I think I put that on that post. There are 10 nations that seem to pop up over and over and over in prophecy. And certainly some of those would have been part of the EU or not the EU, but the old uh, Roman Empire at some point. So I don't, I, I, you know, would it be part of that or not? Personally, I don't know if Daniel 2, like some people like to tie Daniel 2 and say that it parallels like what God was showing um, Nebuchadnezzar you know, is paralleling what's happened with happening with the four beasts in Daniel seven, and then the four kings in Daniel, you know, Daniel eight, and then the four kings in Daniel ten, etc. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't know that it has to be that way. I don't know because in one sense, God is showing Nebuchadnezzar something, you know, that in the days of the the legs that the kingdom of God's going to come and tear it down. I. You know, is there, are those subsequent kings seems to be in some sense, but in another sense, they almost could be existing in parallel as well in some kind of revived state. So I don't know. I mean, there's there th- those are those are areas where I think there's like speculation involved, and I think people get derailed. So people who don't know the material, like you know, there's some things I was listening to that I'd probably see it, I see it a bit different, but I know exactly where you're coming from. And it absolutely could play out that way. The thing I always hold to in, in prophecies, if you're dogmatic, you know, then you're going to be left like eventually your theory will blow up probably in, to some degree. But there are major, uh, like you talked about mountaintops that are very clear. And we know, like, for instance, one really clear point is there is a judgment coming. And we know the Lord's coming back. And we know that he's coming back to Jerusalem, you know, feet sitting on the Mount of Olives. So ultimately everybody's ending up there fighting at some point. And then you have, um, you know, in revelation, if you're going to believe it, there's thousand years in there in between that state, that conflict, and ultimately the final conflict. And that's confirmed by the prophets. You know, Isaiah talks about the conditions. I like, what is it? Isaiah 65 talks about the conditions of the millennium, et cetera. So like these things are, you know, the, the speculative parts are like, who are the 10 kings? You know, who is the Antichrist? Well, we don't know. We're not there yet. So we have to speculate. But the framework is actually quite clear. Like you have, you know, there's variations. Like I have, uh, you know, not a close friend, but I went to Saudi Arabia with him, like Joel Richardson. He holds to, you know, the Islamic, you know, Antichrist kind of concept. Um, and, you know, it's 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 fine. Like it's fine to hold that, but he still holds to a very similar framework. You know, at the end of the day, you can have two completely different views, which you're kind of a, it's interesting because you're kind of a hybrid between like a, a, uh, I don't know if you know of Tommy ice, but you're kind of like a hybrid between a Tommy ice and a Joel Richardson where you kind of see actually the whole kind of Catholic Islamic thing coming together at some point. Um, which is, it could absolutely happen. I mean, one of the things I noticed like in Israel you know, there was a huge uh, ecumenical type push in the Catholic sites. Like they wanted to have a, 
all all religions prayer area where you can like come in here and pray and welcome everybody. Like there's that huge economical push, economical, ecumenical push on their behalf to try to get people. I call in, it so. ecumeniac. <laughs> so no, absolutely fascinating discussion. I you know appreciate your thoughts and definitely we want to, we need to do. Uh, I don't know how much time we didn't really talk about what time, but I probably should let you go. Um, but we should, we need to do some other sessions where we kind of dig into this stuff. It was good to get an overview. Mm -hmm. uh, just curious, like uh, one other major point. So the abomination um, then, okay. In your mind, does it require a third temple to be built? Um, in Jerusalem? Yes, I do see, I do see a temple being rebuilt uh, during the tribulation, possibly even starting before the tribulation. Um, it's something that's going to happen very quickly. Um, there's a millennial temple. Yeah. My understanding of millennial temple, there are sacrifices of the first fruits, but there is not blood sacrifices. Yeah. Um, there's so many misunderstandings. There's so many stupid right. arguments about that stuff. But yeah, I do see, I do see a, a temple um, that is rebuilt. Interesting enough, you know, the if the temple is built, the dome of the rock could actually be in the courtyard, right? And I believe Antichrist. I I I would here again. I'm not dogmatic, but my feeling is that Antichrist is going to come in and bring a peace between Islam and the Jewish people. Build a temple, and he's going to be the God, the Messiah by the Jewish standard until the middle of the week when the Jews realize they have been duped. And that's when they break the covenant with them. Um, so yeah, I do see that temple being built. And at some, and at this point you think at that point, just following through that he's already, or that coalition has already somewhat destroyed the Christian church as you would understand it or not necessarily. Um, or they're kind of mixed in the middle of it there. It's so it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Abrahamic faiths coming together in some degree. And it seems like there's a lot of peace and a lot of world world powers coming together, but then it's triggered by the Jewish people saying, look, we, we are, we've been duped. We are, their goal is to destroy us. And that's when they break the relationship that they break the covenant and Antichrist comes against Jerusalem, but God says, nope, it's not time yet. And that's when Israel, they flee into the wilderness. And it actually, that's, when I take all this and I piece this together, is this going to be a one week? Is it going to be a one month or is it going to be longer? I don't know. But I know that all these prophecies are very very highly detailed and they're all important and they will all be fulfilled without one jot or one tittle missing because God is God and right. he just fulfills his word. <laughs> right. So I, I look at it all and here's the thing. I say, as you look at that and you look at how things might come together, I enjoy having theory, enjoy hearing people's perception, perspective, what they see, um, I really do enjoy that. And 
and the end of the day, there's one thing I want, and that is I want a discussion. Number one, to inspire faith in this book, that we may realize that this book is more up to date than any book that was ever written. And God can, again, I go back to that thought, God can write the future better than men can record the past <laughs> more accurately. <laughs> the details that are in the prophetic word just boggle my mind. Yeah, look uh, at it. And I, oh, yeah. There's so much. And sometimes I feel like my mind gets so full when I go in there and I get lost. My mind gets so full. Well, I and think after a while, anyway. Well, I think the way God presents himself, you know, you know, it, it said he has many or manifold or many sided wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so the way I always look at it is, you know, look at, for instance, how Jesus fulfilled scripture. It, it's a nuance, but it's like right in front of you, but you don't know it until it happens. And then it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, that was easy in some ways. And then in different other ways, it's, it's not easy. Like it's it's kind of like he 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 likes like I say, he's a good storyteller. He likes drama and he likes suspense. Like he likes holding people right at the edge. Like he gets a kind of a kick out of pushing people right to the edge and then like coming through and, you know, Hey, see, I see, I could do that. Like, you know, and some of those, some of those like personalities are things we recognize even in ourselves, you know, I mean, in humanity, like we, we have some of that same kind of, I don't know what you call it. I'm not sure what you call it. I mean, it's, character nature whatever it may yep. be but you, you awesome know, this is i like to describe it as this way you know matt the ground is level at the cross and the same way that god gave abraham a few promises see back when man sinned we began a journey man was cut off from god we began a journey back into learning to know god who god is and God gave promises to Abraham. But as God has revealed more and more who he is, he gives greater and greater promises to see if you and I will stagger at them. You see, the ground's level at the cross. Those two are, he keeps those two the same. The more he reveals of himself and who he is, the wilder the promises become. And we look at it, he keeps those two the same to see if we're going to have the same simple faith as Abraham. I bless yeah. that faith. <laughs> yeah, amen. He has a way of doing it. I mean, it just yep. backing you into a corner and then you see what happens. And then I always, I always tend to say that like everything that the Lord is giving me in, in one way or another had to go through a dying cycle and I like died to it and resurrected to a degree because of, you know, just testing the faith kind of like, uh, okay, you puts the desire in your heart, you kind of want something. And then you're like, you finally like, well, that's not going to happen. So you kind of give it up and all of a sudden, boom, Kind of hits you with it again and the next thing you know it happens you know years ago somebody it's kind of unrelated but somebody uh, somebody told me years ago to make a list write it down because god cares about what we're interested in so let's be intentional about what we're interested in so years ago somebody told me make a list of everything you want and, I, and, and you know within reason here we're talking about big needs not i mean whatever but whatever you want to put on that list but make a list of what you Lamborghini. want Lamborghini. No, I'm just <laughs> I mean, okay, whatever. I mean, I, no, not not on my list. But, <laughs> but make yeah. a list and then just wait. Like pray about it and wait and see what God does. See if he starts checking off categories for you. 
And, you know, I found it like for myself, 100%. It, it just, when, when you do that, like it, it almost never happens the way you think, but it, I mean, yeah, there's still outstanding things on my list, but I, I mean, there's been so many things that have been checked off yeah. of just things I kind of put out there at one time. And I don't check it often. I don't go back to that list every week and I'm praying about it. Like just kind of, as I think about it, it's like, you know what? I haven't been on that list in probably six months or a year. I'll open it up again and see kind of what's happened. Has anything come? I don't, I'm not that hyper-focused on it, but it's been uh, crazy how much stuff like, okay, so I kind of, you know what? I'd want that. And you just let it go. And, you know, six months later, you come back and you don't realize, oh, I have that. Oh, I didn't even, I even forgot that I'd asked for it. Um, you know, so I, to me, God cares about that stuff and he cares yes. about seeing us uh, walking in it. Cause that's, I mean, if you look at Israel and you look at the prophets and you look at Abraham, you look at all the men of faith, uh, there was this conversation and I'm not going to use names, but you know, somebody said that, well, in the new Testament, you know, we, there's what, how many references to the word faith in the old Testament, there are none. So it means like in the old Testament, they didn't, really have faith in the new testament we have faith and i'm like no so the concept of faith it took literally five greek words to to wrap in the mind of a greek somebody a greek speaker it took five greek words to wrap around the concept of what in hebrew is one word mm -hmm. and we don't really translate it faith and that's emunah okay which is it there's this you know, so to, to give an example of what faith is, you know, in Hebrews, it goes down the list of all the people in the Old Testament who walked in faith, and they don't have a word to communicate it very well. So there's five Greek words used in the New Testament to try to translate this emunah. But I've heard um, Jewish people explain it, and I know that sometimes Christians are sensitive of taking things off of other people, but I think it's, it, I think it's exactly right. Emunah is... When all your sense of senses have been exhausted, so all of your understanding and all of that has reached its limit and stops, that's where emunah or faith stands up and begins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's about as good as I I know how to. I mean, it's there is no logical sensory reason to actually believe God really, or to believe a book that's. 2000 years old. There's no sensory reason to believe this. Really? I mean, why would I? Yet when you do, it works. Oh my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my. Oh God is so good. Awesome. Well, I want to I thank you for the time. I know you probably have things to do. But thank you so much for, for the time and taking the time to talk to us. And uh, absolutely, let's do it again. It's been an absolute yep. joy for myself. If you ever get out here to the West Coast, the left coast, whatever you want to call it, uh, stop <laughs> in and see us. <laughs> we'll have to do that sometime. You know, my, my brother's he likes golfing and stuff, and he's, he likes some courses out there. So we'll have to, we'll have to get out there sometime, you check it out. So one of these, one, one of these times I got to, Twist his arm and be like, hey, take me along this time. Yep. <laughs> awesome. All right, Willard. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, God bless. Thank you for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Yep. Enjoyed it. Look forward to meeting you in person someday. And uh, hey, let's connect some more and uh, inspire each other and inspire others. 
in the Let's word. And yep. Amen. Well, God bless you. Yep. God bless the time. you.